You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there. Welcome to this week's podcast. So this week I have a guest called Sarah. I'm going to call her Sarah R. Well, I'll attempt to say her last name. I think it's Raziminiak. There you go. I probably said it completely wrong. I really struggle um, pronouncing many things, especially if there's a Z somewhere, (laughs) especially if there's one of those in there, it kind of throws my brain a little bit. Um, uh, But I think Sarah, um, we had a little bit of a giggle about her last name later on, because it's kind of difficult to pronounce. But anyway, so Sarah R. And Sarah is a recovery coach right now, but she was an eating disorder dietitian before, and she recovered from her own eating disorder. So this is a recovery story. And we talk a little bit about recovery coaching and um, how Sarah got into recovery coaching and um, what she's passionate about as a coach. Um, So without further ado, let's talk to Sarah. The first thing I ask Sarah is to tell us a little bit about herself. Yeah, so I am um, I'm a eating disorder recovery coach working in I'm in Victoria, BC, Canada, and I was previously a registered dietitian, and yeah, I worked with eating disorders in that role, and just always knew I loved the um, like the behavior change and the the kind of more counseling aspects of the outpatient dietitian work the most so I um, I trained under Carolyn Costin um, I took the the um, Carolyn Costin Institute the coach training program she offers um, and yeah so that's a new transition for me and I'm loving the work so far and course I have my own history of an eating disorder as yeah I know so many in this field um, often do and yeah just living on the west coast now and doing this work and hmm. yeah so why don't you why don't we start there then why don't you you tell us about your your own um your own story yeah so I um mine started I know, Tabitha, I've heard your story and it, it's really neat that like you felt like you you really knew who you were um, before before the eating disorder set in. And um, for me, it, it started quite young. So I was about 12 um, when it started. So yeah, for a long time, it was kind of all I knew. But um yeah, just and even before it, just like a very kind of all those typical traits that you that you know, they're kind of associated with creating part of that perfect storm of, you know, why some people develop eating disorders and some don't. So very anxious and perfectionistic and harm avoidant and mm-hmm, yeah, so it, it started quite young and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you go through in terms of um, treatment? Did you do any um, family-based stuff at all or anything like that? You know what? Not. No, which was, yeah, looking, knowing what I know now, but um, we probably could have gone that route, but I ended up being referred to 
um, first like a day treatment program here. Um, and it wasn't, it didn't feel like enough support for what I needed at the time. And no, my parents weren't really brought into it. We saw a family therapist at one point, but it was more looking at kind of my like parenting style and kind of like overall family kind of stuff, but not like how to support me. So yeah, I ended up going to a treatment program in um, a nearby province. And that was more, it wasn't quite inpatient. Um, I stayed with a family friend, but I was there kind of morning to night, um, seven days a week. And that was what I needed more than the day treatment program that was available to me here. So I did that for two summers when I was quite young, like 14, 15, and then just outpatient treatment after that, just kind of what I put together on my own, like finding a therapist and mm -hmm, I was able to, yeah, just do outpatient after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, out of, with your treatment experience, how, what would you say were the sort of, um, what, what things stand out to you as either helpful or not helpful? Well, you know, the, what I remember most from that program was how wonderful the nurses were <laughs> and they were always at the nursing desk and so we had like free time during during the program a lot and they were just you know whenever my anxiety was spiking or um they were just lovely and what I really loved about the program I went to was I just they were also like maternal and just there was no like they didn't treat us with suspicion at all like I feel like they just really really understood the stress and anxiety we were under and that if we were engaging in behaviors or there was anything manipulative or like sneaky going on they were so kind and they were just they almost they just took the approach like wow what um what stress you must be under to be doing that in the treatment center. And like, they were lovely. And the psychiatrist, um, he was this lovely older man and just the greatest sense of humor and just this warmth about, about the whole program. So I, I feel really grateful because I have heard, you know, other stories from other people's experiences. And so, yeah, that just, it makes me feel really grateful um, for that approach um of course there were yeah looking back and we did the body tracings and some things that I didn't find helpful and probably wouldn't um wouldn't recommend now but yeah but overall um no I, I was really happy with that that program and really grateful that I went that I got to go out of province and got to go there um, yeah I was happy with it yeah mm -hmm. and um so what would what do you think were some of the most influential things that helped you recover? Yeah, well, my therapist in that program, um, she just called it positive self-talk. And it was like the simplest concept, but I'd, I'd already like, I grew up, um, my parents meditated from before the time I was born and are like really into kind of their spiritual practice. And um, so we, we really kind of grew up with that. And so I think I always kind of resonated with this idea that, there was more to us than, you know, than our, our appearance and our achievements. And my parents didn't care what I went into in school. They didn't care what grades I got. That was all things I put on myself. Um, very, I just wanted to like live up to society's expectations, but I kind of perceived those to be, but that nothing came from my parents in that sense. And so I think I, I always was kind of aware of this, like almost divide within me. There were like 
I had this temperament that was very like people pleasing and I just wanted to excel in everything and no one could be unhappy with me, especially my teachers. And like, so very hard on myself. But then I was aware of this other part of me that kind of was influenced by my parents and like the spiritual books around the house. I'm like, oh, there is, you know, more to me and life. Like not everything is measured in terms of like achievement and stuff. So I think that always like, I was aware of that, but the eating disorder really played into just like a lot of my fears and my need to feel special and disciplined and um, kind of take every expectation as far as I, as I could. So um, reading like spiritual books when I was first going through it, really helped and then when the therapist started talking about like she called it positive self-talk and then going through Carolyn's training now it's kind of that eating disorder self healthy self um dialogue and connecting to that healthy soul soul self inside so that really helped um because I think I just innately kind of gravitated I kind of knew what she meant like oh right there is this other part of me and it can can kind of talk back to the eating disorder to these other thoughts that I know aren't like all of what reality is like yeah so that really helped so really engaging yeah. with your healthy self and, yeah and maybe being probably being given permission to do that and that that's right that's a really good point exactly exactly giving like being told this is like that is a valid thing to do and this can help you so focus on focus on that because I think I was kind of doing it but then yeah things like the body tracings and stuff that never resonated I'm like well I'm just like that's not really what I need right now and so when her when, like when you say body tracings what did they what what um, what 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 do you mean by that I think I know oh, what you yeah. mean but I'm not yeah, I um, I just remember, it's not like the only thing we did in the body image group. It was just one thing that stood out to me. And then I've heard other people talk about it. So I remember I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that too. And it wasn't, it wasn't the most helpful. Um, like where it's to kind of um, address like body image distortion or to try to kind of prove to ourselves that our brains aren't always right about how we see ourselves so I remember like lying on a piece of paper and I think one of the therapists like trace or one of the other um, patients like tracing around my body with a crayon and we would all do that and then yeah and then standing up and like we would ask if it's like is it bigger or smaller than your brain would expect or that you would expect Fact. And I just remember we all just look like these blobs. <laughs> like, this is it. I don't really, for one thing, I don't see, I don't really see how that's supposed to. Right. So you, me you, you literally mean tracing your body. Yeah, 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 tracing your body. Yeah. And I think it was like for, you know, for some women where they really did have a very distorted body image, I think it was um, the hope was that they would see, okay, you know, I'm not taking up the entire room. But I also remember even at that young age when I didn't even know about health at every size and like the anti-diet um, movement and all of that, I remember thinking like, but some people's bodies are bigger than society tells us. And so how are, if like the whole point of, if we're supposed to be giving ourselves permission to eat because we're because actually we're small, small. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even understand it at, at that age. So yeah, so that was yeah. all and, of and I think that there's things like that, that you can understand what the intent is behind it, but then yes. 
it, there's always, I think, a lot of people when they they feel that 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 should be giving permission. There's always that bit at the back of their head, which is, well, does that mean that if I wouldn't have permission to eat if I was in a larger body? Exactly. Exactly. That they don't necessarily speak, but it's there. Totally, and it's like, okay, I'm under, or you know, I if you even are underweight, because not everyone's underweight. So it's like, okay, I have permission to eat until I get to my goal weight. <laughs> and then, and then what? Then I have to be careful again or something. Right. Then is it going to stop? And so then that immediately just adds, well, what's the point in yeah, getting there if that means that the permission to eat gets removed? Yeah, totally. Exactly. I remember being very confused by that. Like, okay, I have, you know, I'm focusing on all these, this way of eating, for weight restoration and and then and then what and then I have to be careful to not keep doing that because then I might gain too much weight yeah because then the underlying message there is that well actually yeah thin is better yeah (laughs) and then so then you then it's kind of like well if I'm apparently already got a you know a head start on the rest of society why (laughs) would I put on weight it's just yeah yeah yeah, totally. I'm so glad people are starting to really talk about this now and like to to really question some of some of those beliefs and treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and it is important because some these things can be such obstacles to um, a person really allowing themselves to eat what they want. And yeah, um, it's they're they're the sort of obstacles that are really quite difficult to articulate. I think especially when you're in a group setting and everybody's supposed to comply and go along with. Um, And a lot of the time, I think that that people just feel that they can't speak up for themselves in that sort of setting. Yeah, totally. And I I remember like thinking back on what it was like being in kind of situations like that, like really feeling like this, it doesn't, this isn't, working for me or this isn't helping but then thinking that must just be like my problem Mm -hmm. like oh there's something wrong with me that I can't use the therapy being Mm -hmm. offered yeah Mm yeah yeah it's an interesting dynamic isn't it though because um a lot of the time the stuff that our brain's telling us is is stuff that we really can't trust when we have an eating disorder but then so it's difficult you know but then it's there's some things that yeah actually totally your, your healthy brain saying that yeah and that's what I love in in the coaching work and what you probably do too but like how helping people to differentiate that kind of like wise mind like that that mm-hmm. kind of deeper wise part of themselves that can get overshadowed by like the fearful the fearful yeah, thoughts because people amaze me all the time people that they they themselves think that they're so confused and that they and it's just like well and, and then sort of, but actually deep down, they do know all of the answers and they're so yeah. smart and they're so even ahead of themselves and it's, yeah. it's all there. It's just needs to come out. There and <laughs> totally. And like what you said, sometimes maybe it is that like permission, like, cause mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're we kind of learn to not trust ourselves. And then if someone believe, like tells you, no, you actually have a lot of answers and a lot of wisdom in there. Um, yeah. yeah, and then you're kind of given permission to trust a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like overall your treatment experience was positive. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. And um, I think, and hearing so many people's stories now, I, I, wonder, I mean, 
I fit kind of this, that, you know, the stereotypical young, um, noticeably thin. So I, I wonder if that had, you know, that was part of it. Probably I didn't have to advocate for myself because I wasn't, my body weight wasn't low enough, you know, and that can be, that's a struggle for so many people that I wish wasn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So no for, but yeah, luckily I, I was able to get good treatment. Mm -hmm. And so what did you do? So, so what, what age were you when you consider yourself, you were, you were on your way to recovery at least? Yeah. So I was in a really, like, I was in a good, pretty good place when I went away to university for the first time. Um, like just kind of a mm, little bit of white knuckling it, but symptoms were, were better. And I really wanted a fresh start in university. And looking back, I, it was very much, um, I mean, it was where I was at then. Um, and just really, um, wanting to fit in and, you know, be done with, you know, with some of the behaviors that I felt like were making me different than other people and than my peers. So I really pushed myself to kind of be in a better place behavior wise. But yeah, I still felt even with all the therapy I'd been through, I think a lot of it was kind of focused more on like the symptom management. And there was just like this still kind of underlying, not very good relationship with myself and then that kind of surfaced in the first few years of university and I ended up um, relapsing between like second and third year Um, and it surprised me I kind of thought I was more out of the out of it than that so it surprised me when it kind of came back quite strongly but luckily I I got help like I, I started seeing a therapist before it got too bad and then just really starting like the deeper the deeper work of like looking at kind of what's driving it from a deeper level and how is this also how I relate to myself with my grades and how I, you know, how just hard I am on myself in all these different areas of my life. So starting to take kind of a broader view on what needs to heal, like what's really going on here. And so it was, then I went at the end of, after I graduated, I went to, India and that's where I like started meditating and that was I see that as a real a real turning point because I felt like I was really starting to commit to making deeper changes and like yeah that I I didn't just want to white knuckle through it but I really wanted something to shift kind of on a deeper level and how I relate to myself and life and stuff so that was when I was 24 And then for the next few years, then I came back and about half a year later, I entered the dietetics, like the um, schooling to become a dietitian. And it was kind of during that, I was in a really good place. And I already like the behaviors were under control. And I was just working on the relationship with myself. So I'd say it was a few years, like two to three years after getting back from India that I felt like I was the eating disorder was no longer part of my life. And I was just kind of continuing that work on like my relationship with myself. Um, yeah. So that was about when was that was like 2012, 2013, kind of during the program when I really started feeling like mm-hmm, food and weight and exercise were kind of in a 
proper perspective in my life and weren't dictating things to that to a degree anymore. So what was it that made you want to be a dietitian? Yeah, um, throughout university and high school, I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I just, I loved science and I really, I always wanted to work with people and kind of in like vulnerable, like in a healing kind of role or just helping them through difficult times. And, um, yeah, I liked the prestige of the thought of being a doctor, but the more I started, like after that relapse between second and third year, I started really looking at like my temperament more and my personality and, um, just realizing that medicine would be really hard for my temperament if I wanted to work on being less perfectionistic and less hard on myself and how hard that would be if I felt like I was responsible for people's lives and um, just, yeah, a lot of pressure. So I decided I didn't want to go into medicine and yeah, I debated with a few different things, but knew I wanted to do something in healthcare or mental health. Um, yeah. So I decided I wanted to yeah, do nutrition and ideally work somehow with mental health in that. I was kind of drawn to like even like substance use or just working with women's body image and you know like intuitive eating and I wasn't sure if I would end up in an eating disorder role and I thought maybe I would go back to school and get a master's in counseling and have both. So it was very like kind of open when I went into it but it was more just being drawn to healthcare in general and wanting to kind of support people in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. But yeah, and I'd had dietitians, so I'd like had really resonated with some of them and found them so helpful. So I'm like, well, that's kind of a neat way to be able to work with people. Mm -hmm. But so I was very, yeah, yeah. But now you work as a coach rather than a dietitian? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So I think even like what drew me to the dietetics work was really wanting to be in that supportive role. Um, and always thinking I might go back to get a master's in therapy. And I, and I saw myself in private practice and yeah, working with people's like relationships with their bodies and with food and kind of like a very, a deeper way of working on it. And yeah, so as a dietitian, I'd ended up like in a clinical role in a hospital and knew that wasn't a good fit for me. And then I was in an outpatient role, but it was still in like a hospital program. And I felt like I, you know, I could only, I saw people based on what they were referred to their doctor for. So I was kind of seeing people for all these different things. And I didn't always have a lot of time with people. And it, I just didn't have a, I, it wasn't delving as deep into like the work as I, wanted it to. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I decided to take some time off and go traveling. And it was during that year abroad where I found out about Carolyn's um, course that she was offering. And I'd already done like a health coaching program when I was a dietitian, um, kind of like, yeah, like health and wellness coaching. Um, and that didn't really resonate. The weight, the focus was often on weight loss. <laughs> so um, just didn't, didn't go down that route. But when I heard about this program, and I'd already done like eating disorder recovery, um, like mentor work, I volunteered with Mentor Connect. I don't know if you ever like heard about them, but they're, they're no longer in, um, they no longer, they got disbanded, I, I think, but um, I loved that work. So yeah, when I heard, when I read about Carolyn's coaching program, it just sounded like a really 
neat way to kind of do something that was a, a little bit related to what I'd been doing, but a kind of a gradual transition more into just like the more of the deeper like behavior change work and having more time with people and not not just focusing on the food so much. That's you wanted to chat a bit about spirituality, so let's just go into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I think it's just something I feel like is it is addressed in different ways in like the treatment um in eating disorder field and um yeah I just think it's a it's a neat thing to bring into the conversation I um that was one of the reasons I loved Carolyn's um program because like reading her books and her philosophy she was the first it wasn't it was never discussed um in my treatment and so it was surprising for me to hear like this therapist um who writes books and runs conventional treatment centers really talk about it as like a really core part of the healing work and I mean I think for me growing up like with my parents meditating and stuff it was something that really resonated with me but I kind of always thought was weird like this kind of woo-woo thing my parents did so then hearing um Carolyn integrate it so fully it was really neat for me so I just yeah it's a part of it's a part of the work that I I really love um yeah totally I think, yeah, for me, it was just doing anything in my life that kind of helped strengthen that inner core kind of like wise mind or healthy self that, that the part of me that resonated as being deeper than the eating disorder thoughts and like this part of myself that needed to be perfect and needed to kind of look a certain way on the outside in order to feel good enough but I there was like a deeper part of me in there that kind of knew that wasn't true and wasn't like yeah so I exactly like I there any way that people find that and they might not even call it spirituality so it's really um, I try to use like the most um, open kind of general terms I can for people or help them find their own terms for it. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because I think that some people have a bit of a reaction to the term spirituality. I think I do a little bit. It's just kind of like I don't consider myself a spiritual person. But I think I define, you know, I, I... I define spiritual as kind of like a um, maybe a belief system, believing in a in a greater being. Whereas I certainly believe in the mind body connection. And, right. Yeah. 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 And even like hearing your story, it's still or anyone's recovery story. There's always some sense of like finding a part of themselves or nurturing like a part of themselves that is more than their body and more than their thoughts and more than. So yeah, I think to me, yes spirituality resonates with me just for whatever reason like that term but I know some people it doesn't but I still think like just helping them understand that it doesn't have to be a certain way it's whatever that healing is for them yeah absolutely yeah Um, there has to be some sort of connection I know what was really helpful for me with within all of that was um understanding that my eating disorder sort of changed my value things my values and understanding mm-hmm. what my values were versus what my eating disorders values were. Yeah. And that thinness certainly wasn't something I value. 
it might yeah. have been something that my eating disorder valued and then yeah so so for me and just that that's really what was what was very important for me is beginning to understand like my values were kind of being hijacked (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. that makes sense I think the term values can really resonate with people and then and to me that's to me that's tied in with spirituality because coming from a deeper place than what society is telling you what you've learned what you've been conditioned to think you want so Mm -hmm. yeah exactly kind of that deeper discovery work of well what what do Right, and it can be confusing as well because if, you know, those of us that have eating disorders for years and years and years, then understanding or even trying to work out, well, what are my values and what are society's values and what are my eating disorders values and untangling that can be, um, well, let's just say interesting process to say the least. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think think that's where maybe some practices like – um, yoga or any different type of meditation or mindfulness in some way maybe can help on that journey as kind of tools for like getting in touch with with that yeah because it's it, some it sound kind of seems sometimes like you know someone's journey towards intuitive eating or getting back in touch with their hunger and fullness signals it's like it's so hard to hear it at first when there's so much fear and anxiety around certain foods and around um, so it's very hard for you to differentiate like what do I actually want to eat and what just is more comfortable to eat and so kind of similar like yeah how do I hear that kind of yeah I think this is one of the things that fascinate the recovery process even my own recovery process and all of that exploration that had to come with it when you can step outside the fear and emotion, it's just fascinating how your brain works and, and taking off all those different layers. I'm, yeah, yeah, totally. What, what was that? I'm turning it on you. <laughs> what was your journey for that? What helped you to kind of differentiate and start to like, be like, okay, this is my brain not influenced just by the eating disorder? Like, yeah, uh, well, it was for me one of the most fascinating things was learning that the you know really the way that my brain anything that my brain did was pretty much because I'd sort of taught it yeah. to act that way and that I could actually train it not to act that way and so that's getting into neuroplasticity understanding mm-hmm. that the, the brain is neuroplastic and you yeah. can train it and if my brain was fearful of a certain food it's because I trained it to be that way by avoiding that food for so many years so of course my brain if I was avoiding that food, my brain had concluded there must be a reason that I'm avoiding that food. Yeah, totally. and, and so just yeah. just really kind of for me that well, that 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 actually when I started to understand that and rather be able to look at the things that my brain was doing with curiosity rather than just mm-hmm. following what my brain was doing and saying, well, I don't want to eat that, but actually being like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why my brain has come to that conclusion, and yeah. and starting to explore it in that way was just made the whole process like uh, a science experiment rather than just this, you know, big emotional um, whirlwind. Cool. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. And it's neat to hear you use like the term like science in there, because Mm -hmm. to me, I would say like spirituality, because it's like um, realizing I'm more than my thoughts, like kind of that Mm -hmm. distance between Mm -hmm. me and then my thoughts. But yeah, you can look at that if from in any way that 
that resonates. And yeah, I love yeah. that. Exactly. Because yeah. I think my experience of it was very similar. I just called it something different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just listened to your podcast with um, Dr. Laura Hill. Mm-hmm. And I actually had been, I just started reading her book. So yeah, I, it's so interesting and really powerful, the whole, the brain and the rewiring. and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of the time people think that something that's anything that's to do with spirituality or yoga and can't isn't science and a lot of the time like well actually I think meditation is kind of brain science and it's really a lot of working out um, how our brains operate um, and how they compute um, (laughs) it's, it's kind of funny that something that can be considered quite woo can actually be quite technical yeah totally and I think I, it seems like it's more recently that like Eastern and Western kind of different like philosophies on psychology and wisdom seem to be really coming together. And like a lot of MDs are talking about and writing books about meditation and mindfulness now. So it's definitely, yeah, and science is looking at it and doing brain scans on meditators. And yeah, it's becoming very like integrated, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the... Um, the connotation with it still kind of lingers a little bit similar with like God and religion. Some people have such a hard time with the word God just because of the connotations with it. But yeah, but yeah, exactly. Well, Sarah, if people want to find out more about you, uh, do you, do you have a blog? Do you have any, uh, do you have a website? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I do. I blog on my website so I can, that's just, oh, my name is hard to spell, sarahgemaniac.com. I don't know if you want to. I'll put it it. it in the show notes. I can't even say your last name. I know, I know. Yeah, not enough vowels. (laughs) Totally. Um, I can link there. I also have like um, a books page I put together with like all of the all of the different books I've read over the years that really resonate. Nice. Some are more spiritual, but some are, are not like, you know, self-compassion and um, Tara Brock and books like that. So if people need book ideas, I put together a huge list. Mm-hmm. Then for coaching, I work with um, Jennifer Rowland mm-hmm. at the Eating Disorder Center. So uh, the Eating Disorder Center.com and I have a little profile on there. Thanks to Sarah for sharing her story um, with me and now with you, now that you've heard it. I will link to the resources that she mentioned in the show notes. I love talking to other recovery coaches. I love talking to people about their recovery story. I think that we're all so different and different things inspire us. And so the more stories that we can share about recovery, then hopefully the more motivation and inspiration we can give people who are in recovery. If you have a recovery story to share, Feel free to email me. You can, you can contact me via my website. That is tabithafra.com. Thank you for listening. Cheers. And until next time, cheerio.